I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the Sirens. sirens. Um, today we are talking about uh, the movie The Great Dictator, which um, seems so timely. Very timely. Um, <laughs> it was um, Charlie Chaplin's first true sound film. It was made in 1940. Um at a time when um, Hollywood was um, still hadn't figured out really how they were going to respond to what was happening in Europe, um, which relates to the movie, which is um, uh, a, a story. It's a, the satire is about um, Adolf Hitler and um, Nazi Germany. Um, so, like I said, it was um, Hollywood hadn't figured out what was happening with um, the war in Europe. But the United States was still also, more importantly, um, formally at peace um, with um, with Germany. So this was partly why it was this movie was controversial when it came out. Um, the Vulture, uh, you sent me this article about um, that the Vulture wrote about the movie, um, and I thought their summary of the movie was very apt. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they they described it as um, like this. Um, they said, the great dictator is perhaps the poster child of satirizing existing world tyrants. Chaplin's film, released before the U.S. had entered World War II, t- took direct, direct aim at Adolf Hitler. In it, Chaplin played both the Tomanian despot Abnoin Hinkel, um, the film's humorously named Hitler surrogate, and also a Jewish barber who, after years in a military hospital, returns home only to discover that he's now living in a brutal, anti-Semitic police state. The vulture says hilarity ensues. No, really, it does. I'm gonna. I want to talk about this later. <laughs> the the amount of hilarity in this. Um, so the movie is um, the the plot starts in 1918, uh, essentially during World War One. Um, with the defeat of the Tomanian army, Tomania being obviously a fictitious country. Um, At the beginning, this Jewish barber played by um, uh, Charlie Chaplin saves the life of a wounded pilot named Schultz, um, but in the process loses his own memory um, with, he gets a concussion. Um, 20 years later, he is still suffering from amnesia, but he escapes from the hospital where he's been living and returns to um, the ghetto, which is now actually governed by Schultz, um, who's been promoted um, through um, the Tomanian regime that's um, led by this Adnoid Hinkle, um, who, it turns out, happens to look like the barber because he is played also by George Chaplin. There's romance, there's resistance, um, and there's um, finally, at the end, a, um, a case of mistaken identity. Um, and, uh, um, and the movie culminates in, a, in a, a speech that is still controversial um, today. So. Um, so that's the synopsis. Do you have any um, trivia about the movie? Yes. There's so much trivia about this movie <laughs> that I really could only bring a small fraction of it. All right, I have two pieces of trivia that I wanted to make sure that we addressed. So I'm, okay. if you don't address them, I will uh, zing them in. <laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned that this was Chaplin's first real talkie, mm-hmm. which was not the same as it being his first movie with sound oh yeah because he had really been a silent film star he was resistant to uh the dawn of talkies and 
in a few of his films in the 30s, they had sound effects and music, but the tramp, the character played by him, never speaks. So this is the first film in which he actually speaks. Um, Lots of political history around this film. (laughs) So Adolf Hitler banned the film in Germany and in all countries occupied by the Nazis. But... Not surprisingly. He also thought that Charlie Chaplin was one of the greatest actors of all time. (laughs) So he was curious about the film, and he had a print smuggled in through Portugal. And um, there are records that he screened it twice privately, but that nobody knows how he reacted to it. So at some point, Hitler actually watched this film, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. Um, Hitler and a lot of other people thought that Chaplin was Jewish, I think largely because of this film, but he actually wasn't. Um, And there's still, like, I was, like, researching on the internet, and there's still controversy about this, or at some, like... About whether or not he was Jewish? Yeah, there's, like, a lack of clarity about... I mean, officially, he was not Jewish, but there were rumors about his lineage. So, I... And the funny thing is that, like, you know, I have watched a number of Chaplin films. Like, I am sort of an old movie buff like you are and I thought he was Jewish too I didn't know that he wasn't Jewish so I don't know surprise yes um so this film was they started making it in 1937 Uh it was released in 1940 so at the time that they started production of it uh Charlie Chaplin really did not know like the extent of the atrocities happening in Europe and he said that if he had known what was happening in terms of extermination and things like that he would could not have made the film yeah Um, because I think that's something that people are still like somewhat uncomfortable with is like the level of humor especially with how much time is spent in the ghetto and with persecution yeah um, although if he was making it in 1937 the extermination hadn't ha- started to happen yet even after it was released it didn't start happening until I think 41 so so he was still like pre the worst I mean bad right. things were clearly That's right. happening but he, he was he was pre the worst of it um, very interesting that Charlie Chaplin has his life has a lot in common with Hitler's life. Yes. And much has been made of that, right? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of... They say that um, a friend of his, Alexander Korda, um, noted that Chaplin's screen persona and Hitler looked alike. And then Chaplin later learned that they were both born within the same week of each other in 1889, roughly the same height and weight. Both came from poverty and then came to be successful through their hard work um, and that's kind of how he got the idea to do the film because it's like oh I kind of look like him I feel like I could understand a little bit of his background huh. so I thought that was interesting um, so Chaplin wrote the entire script out like in script form except for the fake German uh-huh. which is one of my fa- I, you know I studied German in college and I just thought it was hilarious because every once in a while he would just throw in a German word and everything else was gibberish. And I kept being like, is this dialect? Like, what is this? Um, 
So he actually even scripted every moment in that globe dance scene. Yeah. Which to me looked like it could have been improvised, but like every single move he knew what he was doing. So I thought that was cool. Um, complicated gender politics in the background of this movie. No. <laughs> um, and in Chaplin's <laughs> personal life, there was a lot of uh, controversy around his relationships. He tended to marry much younger women, and there were some scandals around. And he was currently married to Paulette Goddard in, when they were making this movie. Yes, he was married to her, but they their marriage was kind of falling apart at the time that they made this movie, so... They were trying to keep it together. It's a, What I read is that they were both trying very hard to make the marriage work, but there was tension. So since Paulette Goddard was playing a cleaning woman, uh, Chaplin insisted that she scrub the floor of the entire set, I guess to get into character. She refused, and then Chaplin stopped filming until she agreed to do it. Oh my God. <laughs> so... Great. That's yeah, really great. I know. That made me feel great about him. Um, and I thought this was fascinating. The script was originally written in that um, the barber masquerading as Hinkle in the final speech calls for peace through appeasement. Oh. And then as the news reports started coming back, this was like towards the end of filming, Chaplin rewrote it as a call for peace and liberty for everyone. And... Some critics um, claimed that it was communist propaganda. And this, I mean, I can get more into this with his personal life later, but that sort of became a problem for him um, later in his career. But, I mean, for today's day and age, the speech seems very tame. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that could be seen as threatening at that time is kind of horrifying to me but um <laughs> I know <laughs> um and there's other, I mean there, I could like literally talk just about the trivia <laughs> for the whole time but there was a lot of it's um, just a trivia episode <laughs> fine <laughs> there was a lot of um it's probably better that way <laughs> <laughs> there was fear about even doing this film at all like the studios were very nervous about yeah. it um Britain was in a strong appeasement period with yeah. Germany at this time, and they were saying that they would ban the film because it would be seen as anti-German. So there was a lot of concern that even if they released this film, it could never make any money because there's too many issues with audience, and the government was nervous about it. Um, but instead, it was wildly successful. So Yeah. I mean, still watch it today. <laughs> did, did I cover your trivia? You didn't. Oh, no, you covered one of them, that he would not have made the film if he had known about the true extent of the horrors that were happening in the concentration camps. Um, um, I find it interesting just that, that, that they they show films, uh, like they had sets or of concentration camps, because my understanding is that they, like the Nazi concentration camps were they were based on the concentrate the internment camps that were built in southern France um, to house the Republicans that were the Spanish Republicans that came over um, seeking refuge from Spain um, during the, the Civil War um, and so it was still kind of a new concept but even in 1940 that would have been a new concept I don't know um, 
But anyway, the, o- the only other piece of trivia that I wanted to be sure to say was that the music was all scored by uh, Meredith Wilson, the guy who wrote um, The Music Man. <gasps> Which... <laughs> that's a great piece of trivia. I know, right? Wait, that's interesting because I thought... In a he, lot of his other movies, didn't he write the music? But I yes, and so well, and so Meredith Wilson said that like he would, he like wrote all the music, but like Chaplin ended up doing. He made a lot of the musical decisions, like the choosing the music for um, the like the globe. Well, I mean the whole globe scene, um, and then also the the dancing scene where they're in the ballroom, mm-hmm. um, and then. Um, he apparently, I guess Meredith Wilson came on late in the filming, um, and so they had already filmed the, or they had already started filming the, um, the scene where, um, uh, he's shaving the guy, like, to the tune of the, of Brahms, um, Hungarian dance number five. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, like, they filmed it with a record playing, and then, um, just so that they could actually, like, figure out the, the choreography for it, um, and then they ended up, Meredith Wilson, like, put back in, like, more of the orchestration to it, but it was one take, and they, um, and they initially had planned that they would, like, redo it if necessary, but they never did, and so the first take (laughs) is what's in the movie. Oh my gosh. crazy. That was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I know. I know. <laughs> a testament to his ability to just improvise, I guess. Yes. Um, Do you want to say more about um, Charlie Chaplin? Yes. I mean, again, there's probably a lot I could say, but I'll try to not go too in-depth. Um, so he's British, uh-huh. Charlie Chaplin, or he was British. He was born into poverty in London in 1889, um, had a very difficult childhood. He was sent to a workhouse twice before he was nine, and when his dad wasn't really in the picture, which is part of the reason there are rumors about his parentage, um, both his parents were also in the arts theater world, so mm-hmm. they traveled and stuff like that. Um, when he was 14, his mother was committed to a mental asylum, so he was like basically on his own at that point. So he began performing at an early age, touring music halls and working as a stagehand, um, and then as an actor and comedian. And at 19, he signed to the prestigious Fred Carnot Company, which took him to America. And then he was picked up through the film industry and began appearing um, for Keystone Studios. And then he soon developed the Tramp persona, which is what he's really famous for. Characterized by slapstick mixed with pathos, uh, and he developed a really large fan base. And then he directed his own films from an early stage and continued to hone his craft throughout his career. By 1918, he was one of the most famous people in the world. <laughs> and he, that wasn't even that far into his career. That was like before he made the films <laughs> that we know him for right now. <laughs> so all the movies in the 20s. <laughs> uh, in 1919, he co-founded the distribution company United Artists, which oh, yes. gave him complete control over his films. And he was also financially well off at this point. So it, he really had the creative control to do whatever he wanted. Like if he wanted to take three years to film something to get it right, he could because he had the money. Um, 
He was known as a perfectionist, and he wrote, directed, produced, edited, starred in, and composed the music for most of his films. Between 1921 and 1928, he made the silent films The Kid, A Woman of Paris, The Gold Rush, and The Circus. Uh, he refused to move to sound films in the 1930s, instead making City Lights and Modern Times Without Dialogue, which we talked about. Um, and then he was becoming increasingly political in the 1940s, which you see starting yeah. with The Great Dictator. Um, although that film was very popular, his popularity declined rapidly afterwards as he was accused of communist sympathies. His involvement in a paternity suit and marriages to much younger women also caused scandal. <laughs> uh, yeah, they would. <laughs> um, an FBI investigation was opened on him under Hoover, and then he was basically forced to leave the country and he settled in Switzerland. And he continued to make films through the 1960s, but abandoned the tramp persona. Um, so, and he never won any awards, which huh. I find shocking, but yeah. in 1972, he received an honorary Academy, Academy Award <laughs> Academy <laughs> for, quote, the incalculable effort he has had in making motion pictures the art form of this century. And his films, The Gold Rush, City Lights, Modern Times, and The Great Dictator are, are usually on lists of the greatest films of all time. And he died on Christmas Day in 1977. So he almost lived a century. Yeah. And really is like, you know, one of the greatest film stars of all time. Yeah. So do you have some background to share also? Yeah. I looked into um, Henry Danielle. Henry Daniel, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Who played um, Garbage, the advisor that is sort of blatantly based on um, uh, Goebbels. Goebbels, I don't know. Um, but so Henry Daniel was, was had the nickname the Adolf 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 Menju of Menace because he was known um, for playing villains. Um, someone on IMDb said that um, he often played suave, well-bred villains who could kill an enemy or start a war with a certain air of upper-class disdain, as if all of this effort was beneath him. <laughs> which, which I thought was particularly true of his performance in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, so he was born in London in 1894. Um, he sort of immediately started um, working on the stage, but his, like, initial um, um, theater career was cut short when he um, served in World War I, um, in which he was wounded in 1915, and then um, was sort of sent back to um, England to recuperate, and where he worked on a lot of shows in the West End. Um, in 1921, uh, he made his way to the United States, um, and worked first um, on Broadway, um, where he was sort of immediately successful um, and performed, uh, co-starred with Ethel Barrymore in a production of The Second Mrs. Tangeray in 1924, um, and then sort of for the rest of the, the 20s, he worked on both sides of the Atlantic um, and finally then appeared in a movie in 1929. Um, he was under con contract to um, MGM in the late 30s, um, and during that time worked with Greta Garbo and Camille. Um, they um, 
the movie Camille is um, there's a lot of like vitriolic back and forth between his character and Garbo's character, um, which apparently sort of hides the fact that um, uh, Henry Daniel was very nervous acting opposite Gun Garbo for some reason. Um, he he went on to play a series of unsympathetic <laughs> characters, um, including um, uh, the clergyman in um, in Jane Eyre in the nineteen forty three production of Jane Eyre, um, and then a villain in the Bandit of Sherwood Forest. Um, so by the forties, um, he was in more and more of these like lower lower budget productions. So he's in a lot more films, but they were not as um, successful. Um, then um, he played um, Professor Moriarty opposite um, Basil Rathborn in um, The Woman in Green in 1945 and then had a rare like um, leading man uh, role in um, The Body Snatcher with Boris Karloff. Um, so um, that was sort of the 40s. His last, um, his last uh, role was um, in My Fair Lady, in which he had exactly one line. Um, he delivered it on film um, during the day, and then the next morning had a heart attack on set and died. <laughs> what line was it? Do you I, know? Um, it was something like, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, Miss... Uh, Miss Doolittle? Miss Doolittle, yeah. With something, whatever. Oh my gosh, we need to do My Fair Lady, and we need to look for it now. Yeah. <laughs> we showed immediately. Yeah, so he died in set in 1963. Um, so, kind of... I if, if I were to be an actor, if I, had, <laughs> if I had a different life... Yes, if you had a different life. I would rather be that type of actor who wasn't necessarily a lead, but kind of had these, like, interesting complex side characters yeah um like that or so we're sort of unlikable or we're villains i just think it would be more fun to play yeah it's more interesting so let's get into it um did you like this movie um i have to say it was very unsettling to watch i i found it very difficult to watch and all the moments where it was like you could tell the bits that were supposed to be hilarious they were supposed to be comedic i like they were nauseating to me. <laughs> it's, like, it's not really that funny. The stormtroopers like chasing after this Jewish guy in a ghetto. <laughs> um, it's like classic, like comedic stuff, but it's not hilarious at all. Well, the part that was very striking to me was when they were basically starting to hang him from a lamppost. I know when they were lynching him. They, yeah, they basically <laughs> were lynching him at one point, and then. His friend comes along and was like, no, take him down. And then they're like, oh, my apologies. And he was like, no, not at all. Like, <laughs> like that's not funny. <laughs> um, that was striking to me. But um, I this, I mean, this movie, it is like a, a talky type of film. Yeah. But it does, it, it has a lot of elements of silent film in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it is totally, my, basically... Um, Slapstick and physical comedy are like my wheelhouse. I like <laughs> try to understand why I don't like a lot of comedies today. It's because this is what I like. Like, because they're not slapstick enough. And I, I don't go so much for like the Three Stooges, like I'm poking out your eyes kind yeah. of thing, but the more of the like ballet of yes. running down the street. 
Uh, yeah. Kind of hat. Kind of thing. I love that <laughs> stuff. I loved, like, the scene where he's shaving her, or the other scene where he shaves the guy to the, you know... Oh, the Brahms, yeah. Yeah, to the Brahms, and, um... The scene with the globe, I thought, was hilarious. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a lot of, um... That scene in particular reminded me of, um... The Austin Powers movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. Well, and the other thing I liked about it, I mean, it is difficult to watch because it did come out at a yeah. time before we kind of had full knowledge of the direction things were going to go uh, with Hitler. Um, but with people like that who are, like monomaniacal and you know egomaniacs and just like have all this machismo the only way that you can take them down yeah. is to belittle them with yeah. humor that is like the only effective way to take down people yeah. like that yeah so it made me kind of want someone else to do that for today's times. <laughs> <laughs> Where can, where's Stephen Colbert when we need him <laughs> um I also even liked the opening scenes where they're showing World War One mm-hmm. and just showing the general incompetence of war. I feel like war yeah. is often depicted in this way where, you know, it's, you know, there's glory or there, like it, it has a very particular take. But in this one, it was just, you know, oh, like the bomb didn't go off. So mm-hmm. someone check it out. And everyone was trying to shove off the undesirable duties yeah. onto someone else. And yeah. Um, I I just I liked that a lot. Um, I I also studied German film a lot in college, mm-hmm. so I mean this is obviously not a German film, but it was interesting to me to see like these depictions alongside like what I've seen of like German propaganda films from that time and yeah. how how like I just Chaplin just did like such an incredible job like with the Hitler speeches yeah. Like his cadence, um, he apparently watched um, the triumph. What is the, what's the classic triumph of the spirit? Is that what's triumph called? of the will? Triumph of the will. Spirit will. Well, he watched it over and over again. He thought it was hilarious, and in order to get um, Hitler's mannerisms correct, just um, terrifying. Well, he, <laughs> he really did it. And I also thought, I mean, it was terrifying as I was watching it. I just kept being like, this is too close to things that are happening. Yeah. Um, but he still managed to inject a lot of humor into it. Like, every time people would start wildly cheering and he would just hold up his hand and everyone <laughs> would just stop. And then, like, at another point he held up his hand and everyone started cheering again. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I actually wrote down from that first speech that we see of Hinkle, mm-hmm. that what was so disturbing was like parallels to things that are happening today. Like, yeah. um, I'm paraphrasing, but Tomania is the greatest country in the world and has the greatest military. Yeah. Also- Who does that sound like? <laughs> freedoms are not important. <laughs> <laughs> things like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that was very disturbing, but it, I thought he did a great job of capturing, like, the presence and sort of, like, magnetic energy of Hitler that I think sort of allowed Mm -hmm. him to rise to power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It was, was, he he was just really great in the role. Yeah. 
but what did you think of the Paulette character? Um, I mean, I think I thought she was sort of um, kind of one-dimensional. I mean, funny, but there were some moments where her, I don't know if, I, I'm sure this is just the way that I was watching it, but, you know, the number of times that she would, like, hit people over the heads with <laughs> with pants, with, in, in sometimes, like, moments that were actually, it was not a good moment to hit somebody over the head with a pan, like, right when <laughs> he was going to get away, and then she, like, hit somebody over the head with a pan, and, um, and then it just sort of changed the course of that scene, and, and not the way that she was intending. Yeah. Sort of, it seemed a little bit, like, like, oh, look at this silly woman in her pan. Um, which was sort of, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say disappointing, but it was disappointing. <laughs> I did like that I felt like she had some agency and that she was trying to resist the yeah. stormtroopers when other people were not. Yeah. Um, well, and even when the, like, the barbershop burns down, she says, not only does she get him on the roof when he won't go... Um, but she says it's okay. We're gonna like, you know, we're gonna figure this out. And then when they're sheltering Schultz and they're, he's trying to get them to like go on this like crazy mission to kill Hankel, she's like, no, this is <laughs> this is yeah. not what we should do. Oh my gosh, that scene was hilarious with the coins baked into the pudding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and the fact that everyone kept giving their coins to everyone. <laughs> I I was laughing so hard at that and it's funny because I watched part of the movie with Mike and he is fast he was fasting yesterday oh um for like a medical procedure and um his takeaway from that scene was like I really want pudding (laughs) it was like even with coins baked into it yes I would I would take it with with pudding (laughs) or with coins um I also thought it was a brilliant plot device to have um, the Barber character have amnesia and come back 20 years later because like you could see how the incremental changes of of um, you know taking away people's rights and persecuting them had happened Yeah, but then he came to it from not having had it incrementally. And he was right. like, what is this? This is horrible. And then there were all these elements too, which I loved from sort of like the Tramp character and also like you see them in like Buster Keaton movies and stuff of like the little guy not letting himself be pushed around by the yeah. boss, which yeah. like came up with his interactions with the police. And it just kind of made me happy to see him sort of like getting the best of them. Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of encouraging. But also seemed very improbable you know like historically (laughs) yeah although yeah i love the little jibes too of um like instead of being called the fuhrer he was called arfui um (laughs) and like the whole scene with um uh napoloni from the land of bacteria was he from the land of bacteria no I think he was, because someone was from the land of bacteria, and I laughed out loud at that. <laughs> the land of bacteria. Um, but that uh, um, he kept referring to the uh, to um, Hinkle as my dictator brother, which is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, side trivia. The um, 
Mussolini surrogate yeah. cause so when this film was finally released in Italy, they edited out all the scenes with his wife. Oh. Because out of respect for Mussolini's widow. So like if you get the Italian version of this film, there's like <laughs> she no is wife. not in it. She's <laughs> <is> probably better. <laughs> Speaking of the Bechdel test. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, we could, I'm sure, talk about this all day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be disagreeable or unkind. I've come home to live with you again here in the same house. But it can't be in the same way. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's well, the Bechdel test, did you think it passed? I don't think there's any way that it could pass the Bechdel no. <laughs> no. I mean, I don't think it was an anti-feminist movie, necessarily, yeah. but... It doesn't pass. Yeah. I mean, I think the love story between them is sort of... The love story that does exist is sort of... Um, that's not the point of the movie. No. I, I actually, Which is, I guess, kind of refreshing. Yeah. I liked that um, Paulette's character was definitely kind of a stand-in for, like, the good, like, country yeah. girl and... Um, it was so sad to see her so hopeful, like, now they're going to leave us alone. Yeah, and knowing that they... Yeah. yeah. And then they, they flee to Austria. I'm like, now we're safe. <laughs> I've got news for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. What about social justice? Um, I mean, I feel like from the point our point of view today... The whole thing seems fairly justice-oriented, um, and I guess there was some element of that. I mean, that he—I mean, he made it to make fun of Hitler in the way, like as you, as you said, just using humor to cut down the and belittle, belittle the the enemy. Um, so I guess that counts as social justice. Why not? Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it really shed light. For a public audience on like the persecutions in the ghettos, which yeah. people could probably have been ignoring at that time, right? With with sympathetic characters, right? Yeah, and showed like an active resistance. Yeah, so it was important. Yeah, so definitely social justice. There may be blondes and brunettes that are hard to resist. I don't have any fashion notes except I wrote down that mustache though exclamation point <laughs> yes because <laughs> it, it, it on point <laughs> I just wanted it to have sides you know it's like one third of a mustache I know just the middle third it's fine <laughs> um what would you rate this movie well, I was thinking, is our scale on one to five stars, or is it one to four stars? I think it's five. Five? We're going to have to go back and listen to our previous episodes. I would give it... Like, I almost want to give it five, but I'm worried that if I give it five, that something else... Will... I'll give it a 4.5. <laughs> is there I, a I, limited number of fives that we can issue? I, yeah, I mean, it's almost... It's like being a restaurant critic. Like, you never give it a full answer. Four and a half is actually an A. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I really loved it, and I just thought 
the acting was great. I loved the slapstick. I loved how well he imitated the mannerisms. I liked the message of the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny enough that people thought that that ending speech was like communist because I was like, this is a little anemic. It's like saying we should all just love each other, which yeah. is, you know, I thought a little bit naive, but the fact that for that time that was... Communist? Yeah. yeah. Um, so even that... Tells me a lot about his content. Although the plot just, like, abruptly ends. Yeah, right. So, like, that... So I think a 4.5 is justified for that. Because I was like, okay, yeah. so are they going to find out it's not him? Or right. What's going to yes. happen? Yes, what happens next? <laughs> um, what about you? Yeah, I think for all those reasons, I say a 4.5. But, like, what what is there is artfully done, but the plot ends. <laughs> sort of. Um, but, honestly, this was my favorite one we've done so far. Okay. And I would like to pitch that we do some silent movies, because clearly <laughs> I'm very into that. What, what silent movie should we do? Um, I was thinking maybe we could do... The general. Okay. I've been wanting to do all. I mean, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but the that, great dictator followed by the general. The general Perfect. is actually about like the railroad, so it's not really. It's not. But um, you can tell I haven't seen it. I like Buster Keaton. He, I actually like him better than Charlie Chaplin. Um, Throw down. I'm sorry. We'll have to discuss after yeah. this. Um, but I, also Metropolis would be great. But that's not funny. It's just a great movie. Um, but I think we should do something. Yeah. A little frothier after this one yeah okay so for the next movie would you want to do the shop around the corner yes yes little jimmy stewart (laughs) speaking of frothier (laughs) yes yes i would (laughs) okay great well thank you all for listening thank you after all tomorrow is another day